y'all don't need this. We're talking about dealing with a judgmental spirit. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask it, okay? Have you ever had a judgmental spirit? Yeah, I know I have. Uh, years ago, uh, we had a couple came and visited our church, which when we were the only building we had where my office area is, and just a gravel driveway. And a couple came in, and and uh, I thought, man, the way they're dressed, they must be snobs. <laughs> I didn't say it out loud. And uh, as God would have it, they became good friends of ours and helpers in our church, and Frank and Betty Cope. And I realized that, wow, why would I think that? Because of a judgmental spirit. Romans 14, verse 13. Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore. Now, by the way, what's that word anymore mean? signify? We've been doing it. But, judge this, rather, that no man put a stumbling block on occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now, that's interesting. Stop judging others. Don't do it. But if you're gonna, if you're gonna judge something, if you're gonna examine something, make sure that you don't put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now, you remember what Jesus said about that? It'd be better for, to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast them death to sea than to cause one of these little ones, your children, to stumble. I mentioned last week, and you know it's true, Christians will fight over anything. Amen? And uh, amazing to me that uh, most of what Christians fight over, not all, doesn't really amount to a hill of beans. It's not really important. But we also like to fight over deeply held beliefs. But even sometimes those beliefs don't really matter. And I mentioned this last week, the longer I serve Christ, the more I realize there are some things not worth fighting over. I don't want to die on that hill. So is there ever a time or a reason for a church battle? And the truth of it is, and I, I want to be careful, especially in our society today, when it comes to matters of Scripture, it is important. When it comes to thus saith the Lord, that's worth fighting for. And the problem in our world today, because we've allowed society to squeeze into their mold, at least try to put us there, a lot of churches have changed their stance. On scripture. Now all of a sudden what God says is wrong. Well, maybe, maybe we're interpreting that wrong. Maybe, 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 maybe. When uh, Brother Greg Gerber started coming to our church, at the time he lived quite a distance away. He was driving almost an hour to get here. And one day we went to lunch and I said, well, Greg, I said, I know you went to Bob Jones University. He shared that. 
And Bob Jones University is really non-denominational. And uh, nothing wrong with that, but that's what, you know, they don't push one or the other. I said, why in the world would you choose to go to Free Will Baptist Church? And he said, well, when we were in college, there was a group of, we always looked for a Free Will Baptist Church in the area to go through. He said, the reason was, in our research, we found out that the Free Will Baptists were one of the few denominations who haven't changed their stand on God's Word in all these years. And so there are some things worth fighting for. Now, the problem is, in our culture today, if you stand for the truth, you're a bigot. Amen? If you say anything uh, negative about homosexuality, why, you are threatening them. And by the way, we don't want to do, we don't want to threaten them. We want to preach the Word of God. Because it doesn't matter what the sin is, people need saved. They need to come to Jesus Christ. So if we're battling for the truth, that's worth battling for. If we're battling for justice or integrity, those are things worth fighting for. And when we're battling for what is right, what is right according to the Word of God, those things are truly worth fighting for. But the truth of the matter is, some things are not. Now, in our culture today, a lot of the disagreement is on music style. Some is on preaching style. Uh, Jason and I were talking on the way after the meeting in Columbus, the state meeting, <clears throat> and uh, they always have different preachers, usually three different ones. Sometimes one preacher do all three sermons. And uh, Jason said, Daddy, said, I hate to say this, but I have trouble following sermons that are not expository and expository preaching. And uh, that's okay, but we have to understand that's a personal, what do you want to call it, preference. Whenever I, I preached at the state meeting several years ago, one of my heroes in the faith happened to be the brother of my first pastor, Curtis Booth was his name, is his name. And Curtis came to hear me preach. And you know, that was special to me. <laughs> and he came to me and I, I said, well, Curtis, I said, uh, I've always longed to preach like you do. He said, well, I've got to tell you the truth. I want to preach like you do. Different styles. But we will both preach the word of God. And so those are things that are kind of preference. <clears throat> so that's why we're, we're doing this sermon. Because I want to say that there is a danger if we have a judgmental spirit. There is a danger. And again, we're talking about in the church. And how many know that whenever we are fighting, the devil is laughing? He loves that. Because when we're fighting, we're fighting among ourselves. And use at that time the gospel not being going out and things like that happen. So we're going to look at some things again tonight. Some terrible things that can happen when we're too quick to offer our personal judgments. Unbelievers who don't meet, now hear me well, our personal 
standards. Let that sink in. And I hope before we finish this message in a week or so, we're going to have some concrete suggestions on how we can overcome that impulse to criticize brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, let me preface this really quick before I start. I would not turn away a homosexual who came to our church. I would preach the word. Uh, Marvin was telling me today, and I forget what pastor he was talking about. And one Sunday morning, a homosexual showed up, and he told the pastor before the service what was going on. And the pastor says, you're welcome to come to our church, but you won't like what I say. You won't like what I say. A few, quite a few years ago, now I remember a certain topic I was going to preach on. And I kind of backed down because I knew someone that was caught up in it at one time. And I went to that person and I, I explained to them, and they told me, don't do that. Don't back down just because of me. Preach the word. And so we have to be careful. And, and again, there are things that are absolutes in the Bible. If God says something's wrong, it is wrong. Now, we, now, by the way, if a liar came to church, right, we'd accept them, let them come in, but they still need to be saved. And we preached last week and this morning, we will next week as well. When somebody is saved, God changes their life. He changes their life. So you can come as you are, and you're welcome, but God loves you too much to leave you like you are. And that's what the preaching of God's Word does. Now, this thing of a judgmental spirit I mentioned last week, <laughs> been around a long time. We saw it. We read some verses last week. It happened in the day of Moses. It also happened during the time of the ministry of Christ uh, here on this earth. And most people would agree that the church probably began on the day of Pentecost, about two, a little over 2,000 years ago. And churches have struggled with the issue since that time. A judgmental spirit. In fact, as you read the New Testament, you find out even the early Christians had trouble accepting one another, new or different people, into their congregations. And it's interesting, we're in Romans 14. This was such an important subject and something that was prevalent in the church. Paul devoted almost two chapters to this subject. How do we deal with that? And Romans 14 teaches, I think, us for us an important truth about accepting other believers. Now, Pam and I rarely miss church. Uh, even when we're traveling, we find somewhere to attend church. And the few times that we have gone early on in my Christian life, I'd go to a church and all during service, I'm criticizing in my mind. 
We don't do it that way. We, we, you know, and I'm having trouble. We used to sing three hymns. What happened, Jess? And Ruby has changed it. Now, I'm not, I'm not complaining, but you know, what ha- we used to do, it, you know, we used to do that that way. And they do it this way. Now, how many know, unless the Bible says what they're doing is wrong, it's okay. But because we're used to our own ways, we struggle with accepting people. There were four or five different areas of conflict in the church. Some believers were mature, some were immature. There were Jews and Gentiles in the church. Like, can you imagine that? What a, what a contrast, what a difference of background, of tradition even. Some people only ate vegetables. Some were meat eaters. I don't know if I said this the other night, but I had to, the other day I had to go to my uh, urologist a week or so ago, and, and he says, the reason you're getting gout, your attic acid is high. He says, do you eat a lot of red meat? I said, is there any other kind? So, you know, we all have preferences of what we like. There were some, probably many, most Jews, they observed special days. You gotta, you know, this has gotta be a special day. You gotta observe it in a special way. It is a holy day. But there are others in the group, a lot of Gentiles probably, who could care less. They weren't raised in that tradition. And, of course, there was an issue of drinking wine, eating meat, all that was going on in the church. So I think when Paul is writing this letter, and especially in these two chapters, in chapter 14 and 15, he realizes there's a problem. And so, evidently, they weren't getting along. They were not getting along. And so Paul, in this chapter, (coughs) brings out... Three exhortations. We covered one last week. And the first one was accept one another. And the key word in this area is to receive each other. Because God has received them. Now, by the way, if God receives someone, what right do we have to reject that person? We don't. We don't have that right. And Paul says, in any congregation, there's difference of opinion. Some are weak, others are more mature in their faith. Some eat meat, some don't. But it doesn't matter. But the key is, Paul asks a question there in verse 4, who are you to judge your brother? What right do you have to judge your brother because he said this, to his own master he stands or he falls, and they shall be held up to God, because God is able to make them stand. How many know if God can't do it, nobody can? Amen. Years ago, uh, shortly after my sister, one of my sisters got saved, uh, she was dating an unsaved man at the time, because she was unsaved, and they were engaged. And I probably had been saved maybe a year, not much more than that. But I knew that that wouldn't be good. The Bible says, you know, don't be joined together with unbelievers, especially in the marriage. And I, I thought, man, I don't know what to do. 
Uh, my sister <clears throat> was the kind of person she would never, she wouldn't want to break anybody's heart, no matter what it was. She was tender-hearted herself. And I thought, well, Lord, I don't know how to approach this. Uh, you know, they've been engaged. And he was a nice young man, except he was unsaved. And she called me one evening. And she said, you know, I'm not sure I can marry Greg. And she said, I've been reading a psalm, chapter 1. <laughs> and you know what God did? He spoke to her heart. And God did what I could never do. So don't be judgmental. Because it's God who's able to hold them up. It's God who's able to change their lives. So there in the very first verse of chapter 14, Paul gives us the theme of the entire chapter. It says, receive those who are weak in the faith. Don't pass judgment. And don't receive them just so you can argue with them. You ever been there? Come on. I used to love to argue with with other people who didn't agree with me. But I found that that's not true. So the key word is receive. Welcome him. Those who are weak in the faith. And again, verse 3, the last part of it, the reason we need to receive them is because God received them. God has received them. That's why we're to accept them. Now remember, we are not talking about essentials. Okay? I would welcome anyone into our church. But they cannot be a member. Nor would I baptize them if they're living in open sin. Welcome here, yes. But they cannot become a part of our fellowship. Because it will not work. And it goes against the word of God. But we're talking about those who disregard essential truths of the word of God. Now remember, God loves everyone. He loved me before I was saved. How about that? Amen. Loved you before you were saved. And I'm so glad he did. But he had to make a change in our lives. So we shouldn't despise or condemn people who don't agree with us on some non-essential things because God accepts them. He has accepted them. Now remember, the only reason we are worthy is because God has saved us. That's it. We're not worthy on our own. We've been forgiven. And saved by God. And they may have a different view of non-essentials than I do, but it doesn't matter. They are saved by God. Could you imagine? I wonder, now think about this. If John the Baptist showed up way he dressed. In our church, but we didn't know who he was. Would we accept him? And let's face it, Lord forgive me, but John the Baptist was a little bit weird, wasn't he? Different, let's put it that way. I think we're all weird in a unique kind of way, but he was different. 
I wonder if we didn't know who it was if the Apostle Paul showed up. Would we accept him in our fellowship? And we can list many, many, many names there. So understand this. God accepts people who sometimes we don't think are acceptable. Remember, God holds them up. Now it's interesting. Some didn't eat meat, some did. Some observed some special days, some did not. And what's interesting, didn't matter which side it was, Paul showed both sides love. Yeah. And you know, I, I can only, only you know, surmise, but I think maybe there's some personal things that Paul wouldn't have agreed with, but because it was not essential, he showed them love. Now, I mentioned this morning in my message that the requirements they had back in Acts 15 for the Gentiles to be a part of the church. But what's interesting, the overall theme of what they said and sent back to Paul, back with Paul to the church at Antioch, was simply this. In the essentials, there has to be unity. Right here are the essentials. Right here. If God's word says it, there has to be unity. There's no debate about it. Now, for the life of me, I don't understand why any denomination would vote on whether or not homosexuality is, is a sin. I don't understand why they would vote on anything the Bible calls sin to determine whether or not it is wrong. If God says it's wrong, guess what? It's wrong. It is wrong. And so we have to understand that. So in essentials, there has to be unity. In non-essentials, there has to be liberty. To think about that. But in everything, there has to be love. That is so important in our walk with God. So again, who am I? Who are we? To reject someone, any person who God has accepted, how in the world can we reject them? So number one, the first principle Paul gives is accept one another. Notice this. The reason I need to accept somebody else, you know why? God accepted me. And I have to tell you, folks, if God can accept me, he can accept anybody. And God has accepted me. Second principle Paul gives in verses 14, chapter 14, 5 through 9, we're to have our own convictions. And you know why? Because Jesus Christ is my Lord. Not you, not anybody else. Jesus is my Lord. Verses 5 through 9, look what it says. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not today, to the Lord doth he not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. 
And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not. Why? And he gives God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself. And no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we, ought, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to, for to this end, Christ both died, rose, and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Notice there in verse 5, the principle Paul gives. Each one of us should be fully persuaded in our own mind. In our own mind. Now, here's what I noticed in this chapter. Paul never gives his preference on the position. In fact, he says, your, your stance, whether you eat meat or you don't, whether you observe all of these or you don't, Paul says it doesn't matter. That's not the issue. Paul says the matter is that you have to be fully convinced in your own mind. So how do you do that? Now, by the way, if you or I do anything that goes against our convictions, it's sin. So we have to be fully persuaded in our mind. And we do that through prayer. We do that through studying God's Word. We do that with careful thought. And we examine whatever action we are debating about or one or leaning toward or away from. We've got to examine that. If that action that we believe that God wants us to do is what I'm going to do, is it pleasing to God? And so the Bible reminds us that we have to decide for ourselves before God. And we have to be convinced of the rightness of the position we take. And even if it means disagreeing with other believers. Now remember, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And so we can disagree on some points and still be acceptable to God. Now, keep in mind, I, I was saved in a free old Baptist church and been in this for quite a few years. And a lot of the denominations, for example, on eschatology, uh, they have a standard they go, they use whether uh, you're premillennial and you're amillennial and everybody, you know, kind of falls in line. In free will Baptist, we have different, all, all, all three. I mean, two of them, amillennial and premillennial. And I mean, I agree with them. But that is a non-essential. In fact, I mentioned Curtis Booth a moment ago, and uh, he and I are on opposite poles on that. And uh, but we love each other, 
And every once in a while, we'll kid each other when we talk. We don't talk a lot anymore because his health, his health is down. But again, we still accept one another. And I know he thinks I'm wrong. And I know he's wrong. <laughs> but, but the truth of the matter doesn't matter. It is a non-essential. Notice in verse 6, the phrase, regardeth it to the Lord. And Paul says, look, understand this. If someone decides to honor a day, they're honoring it to the Lord. They're giving that to the Lord. And if someone decides not to honor that day, they do it unto the Lord. It is for the Lord. Same thing about eating. The one who <clears throat> eats meat, he eats to the Lord. Because you give God thanks. <laughs> and the one who doesn't eat still gives thanks to the Lord. And so when the Bible says, regardeth it or to the Lord, that very statement puts limits on what is acceptable and not acceptable. Now think about this. Paul says whatever they do, they do it unto the Lord. And that lets them know the limits on what is right and what is not. So when it comes to difference of opinion among believers on matters of conscience, each believer, now hear me, should respond to the Lord. Doing as our conscience dictates. We do it to the Lord. In our own personal conscience and accountability to God, that's what matters. We are accountable to God. And let me say it very clear. We are not accountable to what anyone else thinks. Remember, Jesus is our Lord. We will answer to Him. We are accountable to God. And acceptability ought to be defined by what we determine God is saying. Lord, is it okay for me to do whatever it is? Where should I go when I'm trying to make that decision? Now remember... God always requires obedience. You remember the time when Samuel confronts Saul? God told you, Saul, get rid of everything. Oh, we did? And Samuel said, what's the bleeding of that sheep I hear? And of course, Saul began to make excuses. And Samuel said, obedience is greater than sacrifice. God has always desired obedience. And the range of that obedience requires a variety and it varies greatly in matters of tradition, in matters of ritual, or in matters of conflict. This great principle 
of freedom. And make no mistake about it. It should guide us. We are to dedicate our actions, everything we do. We're to dedicate our attitudes. And we're to dedicate our habits to the Lord. Is what I'm doing, is it to the Lord? Is it for Him? And whenever the questions come, when somebody else asks us about our convictions, it ought to motivate us to ask a question ourselves. Am I doing this, whatever it is, out of respect for the Lord? And my friend, that will change a lot of lives. It's interesting, uh, did you ever hear about Jesus? <laughs> and and you got to love the New Testament when you look through the ministry of Christ. You know, he didn't pull any punches, did he? He called red, red, and white, white. And one of the things that he confronted over and over while he was here was the extreme religious observance observance of the Sabbath day. Now think about that. If you ever get a chance, Google some some of the requirements on the Sabbath day. I mean, you couldn't even spit on the ground because if it did, it caused a, a, a little groove in the ground. And the list is unbelievable. And... Christ confronted that. And the cry, remember the Sabbath, by the time of Christ, had become a tool of religious tyranny. And if you study the New Testament, one of the things that enraged the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Jesus had the audacity to heal people on the Sabbath day. I mean, come on, Lord, you've got Jesus, you've got six other days. And one thing you won't find in the New Testament of Jesus, not one time did he legislate the details or method for keeping the Sabbath. Now think about that. The bottom line was, it wasn't how you kept the Sabbath. It was your attitude in keeping the Sabbath. And he's concerned about our attitude or their attitude for keeping the Sabbath in the proper place. Because here's the thing they missed. The Sabbath was a gift from God. And it was a gift designed for the rest and spiritual renewal of the people. But the Pharisees had taken that cry, remember the Sabbath, and they made it a burden on the people. It became a burden that was almost too heavy to bear. It became a religious tyranny. And Jesus was not happy with that.
One day as he and his disciples were, were walking, <laughs> and by the way, and I, I could be corrected here, and I've read through the Bible multiple times, I don't ever remember the law telling you how far you could walk on the Sabbath day. But when you get to the New Testament, you read uh, sometimes about a Sabbath day's journey. And according to the tradition of the scribes and Pharisees, a Sabbath day's journey was two miles. That's as far as you could go. Now again, I can be corrected on that, but I don't remember reading that as part of the laws, and not just the Ten Commandments, but all the laws in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But nonetheless, it become ridiculous. So they're going through the fields, they're picking some grain. And it's on Saturday, it's Sabbath day. And the religious elite could not believe that. And Jesus reminded them what David did when he went to the house of the Lord. But then in verse 27, Mark chapter 2, 28, he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now, you may not realize this, but that statement to the Jews was blasphemy. Because to be Lord of the Sabbath, you're claiming to be who? You're claiming to be God. And he says, fellas, you got it wrong. (laughs) You've got it all backwards. God didn't make man for the Sabbath. He didn't make man to serve the Sabbath. Like you're trying to teach them. He made the Sabbath for man. Because God knew that we needed a time of rest and revival in our lives. So be careful here how we judge other people. And then in verse 7 of Romans 14, Paul gives us a principle there as well. He says, for none of us Liveth to himself. Think about that. We don't live in a vacuum. We don't live in a vacuum. Everything we do affects those around us. Everything. And that's why we have to consider, even in our freedom in Christ, we have to consider... Our responsibility to others in the church, in the family of God. And we want and we demand freedom for ourselves. But if we demand freedom for ourselves, isn't it true that other believers have that same freedom? We're not their Lord. Jesus is their Lord. And the Bible is very clear on this. If we demonstrate our freedom and it causes us to act in an uncaring way, in a hurtful way, 
toward other believers, then we're not free. We are not really free. Look at the first part of Romans 14.8. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. What's Paul saying? Ultimately, our lives are for Christ. We are living for Jesus Christ. Not for someone else. Our entire life, from beginning to end, belongs to the Lord. Thank God. We live for Him, the Bible says, and we die to Him. And hear me well. Our relationship to the Lord is more important than life or death and are more important than religious observation. Doesn't that more important? So whenever we disagree, and we will, and there's time we'll discuss those disagreements. But they should never interfere. Never interfere with our relationship to Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Look at the last part of verse 8, Romans 14. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Think about that. How many know it's the judgment of the Lord that matters? That's what matters. So whenever we disagree, and we, like I said, we will. We'll debate issues. We do. The question we need to ask ourselves is, am I treating people as though they belong to the Lord? Now, by the way, for those who belong to the Lord, who's their judge? Not you, not me. The Lord is. Now, the problem comes whenever we claim to have the authority to tell others how they should think or act in matters of opinion. If we do that, if we think we have that authority... We are usurping a position that only Christ holds. Only Christ holds that position. As we read those few verses a moment ago, here in Romans 14, notice how many times Paul mentioned the Lord Jesus Christ in those few verses. Seven times. Paul relates our lifestyle 
directly to our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we are fully surrendered to his lordship in our lives, then we are free to make up our own minds in disputable areas. And the question, do I want to eat meat? Eat it for Jesus Christ, your Lord. Do you prefer to be a vegetarian? Go ahead and eat your beans sprouts and give thanks to God. Christ is our Lord. And we can make our own decisions knowing that He is going to be our judge. And I will remind us all tonight there is room in the body of Christ for differences. And the way we approach the traditions of our faith. Let's stand together. Jesse sang a few minutes ago about God's amazing grace. And I want to say tonight, and I know it's true in your life, His grace is still working in me. He's still changing my life. He's changing my attitudes. And more than anything else, I long for the day when I stand before him and I hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want to tell you, folks, right here in our congregation, we've got some weird people here. I mean, some of you eat peas. I don't understand that. And we had different you know, opinions on how things maybe should go. But you know what? I'm not your judge. I'm not your mother. I'm not your father. But most of all, I'm not your Lord. Jesus Christ is our Lord. So Bible is clear. Be careful. Be careful of that judgmental spirit. Amen. Don't forget tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Master's Men, as well as Lydia, Lydia's Ladies. So come out and be a part of that. Everyone is invited uh, for each group. So we hope we'd love to have you come. Uh, Wednesday, again, focus, and uh, it's still going on during the summer. And uh, they do a lot of weird things back here, okay? Uh, sometimes I, I, Trisha always emails them ahead of time, uh, wear old clothes, you're going to get wet tonight, you know. So you never know what they're going to do back there, but they really have a good time with those young people. But also our Bible study on Wednesday night, don't forget about that. Anything else we need to announce? Yeah, again, this week is the National Association. Be in prayer for that. There will be a lot of business uh uh, taken care of. Jeremy, you said there's a couple of issues going to be voting on. Is that right? Uh, so, uh, again, not essential. You know, we don't do that. Uh, but pray that God will give them direction in which way they ought to go. Thank you for coming tonight. We appreciate you so much. Let's bow our heads and be dismissed in prayer. Brother Ron Griffinstein, will you do that, please?